good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Monday night. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, which means we are live. So you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking at 646-668-2433. And you may be wondering to yourself, Uncle Jim, what happened to the catchy theme song that we always play? Why did you play the Star Trek The Motion Picture theme? Well, there is a reason for that, but before I get to that, let me introduce to you my awesome Trek experts. We'll start off with Paul. Paul is out in Portland. How you doing, Paul? Hey, Jim. I'm doing well, my friend. Doing well for a Monday. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It's not a bad Monday, actually. I cannot complain. So that's a step in the right direction, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with me, as usual, is Charles. And Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. It was a, a fair Monday, but a lot of hyper kids to deal with. And Man, the weather, we're still, wait, we're still waiting for a chance for Mother Nature to realize it's fall, at least in the afternoon. Well, luckily that, that, that dirty word that begins with S and ends with O didn't actually happen here, so I'm happy about that. So, anyways, guys, um, you may have noticed that there's been a resurgence of popularity in Star Trek, the motion picture. There was a definitive collection, which came out just recently, which included the original theatrical edition, the 12-minute longer version, which was aired on television, and the director's cut, which was remastered in 4K Ultra HD, the box set came with all kinds of cool stuff, some great uh, uh, features, um, all kinds of great stuff. And we're going to talk about well, as much of that as we can in the next hour. So if, you, if you're into Star Trek, the motion picture, you definitely want to hang out and join us. And to help us and to share his insights and knowledge and experience from working on Star Trek, the motion picture, we have with us the one, the only, Philo Barnhart, who actually was an animator on the original uh, version of the movie, uh, working on V'ger, working on the Klingon photon torpedoes, and having all kinds of fun. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here. It's good to have you back. Welcome so back. Did you get a chance <laughs> yes. to watch the new um, uh, Ultra Edition that was um, just released? recently on Paramount Plus. Oh, yes, yes. I I, uh, I have the complete set, including the digital copy, which I show to people all the time. No matter where I am, I can bring that up. It's so wonderful. Now, uh, for for fans that might not be aware, what, what exactly did you work on? What work did you do on the original theatrical version of Star Trek, the motion picture? Well, as most of you already know, we didn't have the use of computer graphics back then. And uh, for heaven's sake, we didn't even have computer monitors or, or home computers back then. It was in 1979. We didn't have those things in place for uh, a decade later or so. So uh, what appears to be computer screens on board the ships and um, – uh, organic things like electrical discharges and, uh, of course, the V'ger clouds 
that was something that we would tackle. Wow. And we would animate it by hand, yeah, or some other means, you know, using some physical object and transmogrifying it into something else. So (laughs) you used whatever would work and um, provide you with what uh, you intended for the end result. Yeah, like today, today the, the the photon torpedoes would just be digitized, and uh, the bridge monitors would just all be put in there later. V'ger would have all been done on a computer, but um, you actually had to sit there and do them by hand, one one frame at a time. Right, right. In in a, a kind of a trance-like state in under your headphones, listening to your favorite music. I think I was playing some disco. What was one of your favorite um, parts to work on? Like, what what parts of V'ger did you actually work on? All of it? Oh, or? Um, the uh, uh, part of the opening. Um, you, you might remember those flash flashes behind the cloud layers. The clouds, for the most part, were painted uh, by people like Don Moore, who I befriended there in uh, 79, and uh, we ended up on Secret of Nana in 1980. He was painting backgrounds on Secret of Nana, and I was working in character animation. But uh, Don painted a lot of those clouds. Um, Linda Harris did an awful lot of those clouds. she did them on cells, uh, you know, animation celluloids that were uh, designed to be shot on multiple layers, uh, pretty much the way Disney used their multiple uh, multiplane camera back in the um, starting in the 30s. So um, my team would provide flashcards and uh, animated electricity that would be shot just behind those clouds. And um, initially we draw them in black, and then uh, we do what's called codeless cells, which was a Kodak product, which took your black and white drawing and turned the black lines clear. And uh, everything that was white would turn black. And uh, if there was light showing through that you didn't want, you just simply touched it out with black paint. But um, that's how we did all the bolts throughout the movie. And... uh, um, it was it was uh, tedious, but it gave us the result we wanted, so uh, we were happy with it. And um, uh, so those flashes you see behind the clouds in the opening, and uh, certainly uh, the, the cloud corridors when they first um, enter, you know, the, the um, vicinity of V'ger there. And then the, when they finally confront V'ger uh, at the end, all those electrical discharges and things, uh, um, including when the uh, the bolts lash out at the Enterprise when he refuses to disclose the information. <laughs> that was one of our our main themes there. Now you also you also did the Klingon photon torpedoes in the op- opening sequence, correct? Yeah, those those were a lot easier to achieve because they're. Uh, um, they are black cards that are punched. Uh, they're they're picked at the bottom like most animation paper is, 
you know, that's to ensure that um, your animation is uh, consistent, you know, uh, and people use reinforcements over those peg holes to, to keep them from shaking around, um, getting wider, because it is just paper. So um, what we would do is, uh, um, oh, where was I going with this? <laughs> I'm getting lost already. Um, Klingon photon yeah, torpedo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, starting to digress and losing my mind. Um, yeah, that is just a logistic kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's not unlike um, shooting one of the models in um, uh, motion control, which is something that John Dykstra developed for, along with Richard Edlund and other people, for Star Wars, the first movie. You know, everyone used that technique afterwards, and that's really the only place we would use a computer uh, was to power the, the cameras so that they would uh, perform the motion over and over again. We could layer the, the images onto one piece of film by backlining it in the camera and shooting it over and over and over again, the same exact motion. So that's, that's pretty much how we constructed the, the model footage. And we also used that idea on the torpedoes because uh, you could either zoom in to make it uh, appear that it was emanating and then flying towards you, uh, the bolt, by uh, zooming in on it with the camera, or uh, pull out the camera and uh, to make it look like it was going away from you. So actually a lot easier to do than the other animation was. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. and uh, in addition to bottom lighting it and uh, putting a uh, reddish orangish gel on it, uh, we used uh, lens flares on the camera to make um, you, you see those beams of light coming off them, um, you know, as they fly. So, you know, oh, they flare. Being a huge Klingon fan, and in my opinion, I think the opening sequence of Star Trek, the motion picture is one of the best opening sequences that I've seen in any movie. In my opinion, um, the, the soundtrack that Jerry Goldsmith came up with, which we played at the beginning of the show to me just is Star Trek. I mean, that, that theme is just, is perfect. Mm -hmm. And then when it segues yeah. into the Klingon theme, which has stuck with the Klingons through all the generations and those cruisers come over your head and the camera swings over the top and follows them. It's just outstanding. Mm -hmm. It's just phenomenal. Right. Did, did you get a chance to actually see the filming model of the Klingon ships that was used in the beginning of the movie? And, and if you did, oh, what, sure. what, how did, did they look as good in person as they do on the movie? Well, you could, you could actually see more detail. Uh, the real models, um, you know, seeing it with your own eyes. Um, film has a way of, of, you know, making those things disappear. But uh, uh, the amazing thing is, is those details are there. So, um, the audience just never sees them. They're just kind of the gravy on, you know, your mashed potatoes. So, um, yeah, they were they were beautifully made. Uh, I guess that the, the um, 
I want to call it a wingspan, you know, that, that shape that, that connects the nacelles to the ship, was, was about four and a half or five feet wide. It was pretty big. And then um, it was nearly as, as big as certainly the Enterprise model was. And um, what puzzled me is that both of those uh, ships were shorter than the actual TV model, which was 11 feet. These were these were just uh, eight or nine feet, which was pretty amazing. But they um, they added an amazing amount of detail um, to both of them, the Klingon and the Enterprise. So uh, they did a kind of a, a plating effect with the paint job on the Klingon ship, but they really went all out on the Enterprise. Uh, it's called an Aztec pattern. Um, they. They had that model in the paint booth for weeks, <laughs> maybe even months. I don't know, but that was all done before I got there. But uh, just an amazing amount of detail. You you feel it. You don't really see it on the screen. So, but with your own eyes, yeah, you could you could see it uh, quite clearly. Wow. Well, uh, Paul, yeah. I know I know you have the complete collection, and you've had an opportunity to watch it. Um, did you have any questions or comments that you wanted to ask? Well, finally, it's a pleasure to have you on here, my friend. Thank you so much. Well, and thank uh, you. It's, it's been a, a delight to get a chance to really, uh, I feel like for, for decades, literally decades, uh, the motion picture has always sort of been a little maligned in its reputation, right? And it's never really gotten the, the, the appreciation, I think, that most fans you know deserve. Uh, when we got a little hint of it at the, when the director's cut showed up on DVD briefly, right, and in kind of you know clunky form a few years ago, in the right. infancy of the DVD format, we kind of said, "Oh, there's something going on here." If only someone <laughs> would step up to do it justice. And yeah. it's just miraculous, especially in the middle of you know the you know uh, the latter days of a pandemic and everything going on in the world that the, the team came together to do this. It's just phenomenal. And it, it really does now play like an entirely different, uh, much more cinematic experience uh, uh, than we've ever seen it as before. Uh, uh, I, I'm really curious to hear, uh, cause I know I have my thoughts, but uh, I really like to hear your, your like, what are the, the scenes that, uh, that get more emphasis now uh, in the director's version that we have uh, that you think really are the ones that you're like, finally, we get a chance to see this. The ones that really, uh, you know, help showcase what a, what a wonderful achievement this was. What, what are some of your favorites that we're seeing for the first time? Well, certainly the, the uh, relationships between um, the characters are, are much more, you know, uh, expanded now. Um, and you, you really, there's really no doubt as to, uh, what Spock is feeling and how he gets involved with this because Viger is actually calling to him, you know, at the beginning of the film. So that I think has been made more clear to today's audiences. So that is a definite bonus. They also added, um, scene in towards the end where, uh, um, Kirk, contacts Scotty and he says um gives him the um, self destruct order and um the um the ensign next to Scotty says, Will that will that take the Vidra out? Will will our self destruction take it out? And 
destroy it. And he says, yes, when that much matter and antimatter <laughs> comes together, she'll go. <laughs> so that was cut out originally. And uh, uh, I was mystified when I finally saw it because uh, uh, Kirk in the show always had a plan B before he went into any situation <laughs> he tried to have. And uh, there, there it was. So they had filmed it and everything. It was beautiful. So they put it back in. And um, everything just makes more sense. Um, the relationships make more sense. Uh, there's a lot of tension between Decker and, and Kirk, of course. And um, that's brought out a lot more with all the enhancements. So, uh, Yeah, I felt that really that really stood out to me on this, this most recent viewing. It's like he seems uh, a little out of touch almost, Kirk does, coming back on board, right? He seems like he's... Uh, uh, he's not up to speed with everything. He seems a little threatened. <laughs> right. Well, he, he is actually kind of using the situation to get the ship back. I mean, that's that's the truth, and he doesn't want to face that truth. So, yeah. so that's great. Well, a much more complex, you know, kind of more mature look at, at uh, you know, latter years mm-hmm. Kirk than we necessarily always get. So it's just like he's he's flawed. And he's he's not perfect. I thought that was really interesting to see that that they, they didn't yeah. you know, shy away from that. I thought it was a very cool choice. Plus, on top of all that, they they had this mission to accomplish. The chips were definitely down for Earth. If they failed, that was you know it's bye bye time for us. So <laughs> we were going to get turned into data storage patterns. So. <laughs> yeah, well, not, not how anyone wants to go, yeah. right? I was curious also, in, in your course of working on the film, did you or your team get to have much interaction with uh, with the great Robert Wise, uh, the director? Um, no, I think we saw him maybe once or twice when he came to see dailies at our uh, facility in Marina Del Rey, but um, I don't think he would have had the time necessarily to come all the way from Hollywood out to the, you know, the coast there. This, right, right. Yeah. We tried to make sure we got the film to him, you know, for dailies every Friday. So um, I did see Jeffrey Katzenberg every day, though, and he was my one of my supervisors, the main one, uh, out in Marina Del Rey. And then uh, um, a decade later, we worked together at Disney on Little Mermaid. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. <laughs> Well, his yeah, career yeah. trajectory was just crazy, man. What a what an incredible legacy he's built. I mean, it's just wild. Oh, right, right. But I just um, uh, I would just encourage anybody uh, listening to the show who has not had a chance to uh, to dive into uh, the motion picture uh, the way it's presented now. I mean, it's just you know we we have new formats. It seems every ten years come around, right? From DVD to mm-hmm. Blu-ray, but but this is just nothing short of a revelation. And I, I, it's, yeah. I think it's going to hopefully uh, serve as a, as a, as a benchmark to show, you know, what can, not only what can be done to showcase films that uh, have previously been, you know, uh, underappreciated, but just in terms of film mm-hmm. preservation and being able to, to mm-hmm. fulfill the legacy of a director after that director's passed and, and to honor all mm-hmm. the work that people like yourself contributed to it, to, to make it look better right. than it had ever been dreamed of. What a, what a miraculous thing that that was achieved. It is. So, uh, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's part of the reason I'm so thrilled to be still living in this modern age of ours because uh, they're, they're giving these, these films 
uh, another chance, you know, um, that, uh, you know, they're going to be taken care of at last and not fade away. Um, it, they, they even enhanced uh, what they did on the 2001 version. Um, they went in and, and changed things again, and I think they did a um, beautiful job. Those, those uh, engine nacelles that were showing outside the windows on the officer's lounge were, were redone again. And um, in the original film, they weren't there at all. It was just the star field moving slowly you know, like you've seen so many times before. And no nacelles were showing, but uh, now you, you get a hint of, uh, of um, no nacelles outside the window. So you, you get a feeling of being more on the ship than, um, you know, the other. Yeah, it's so, uh, a lot of, that was one of those moments for me where I'm like, I mean, I've probably lost track of how many times I've watched the motion picture over the years before it's been restored, right? And there's so many moments now when you're watching it, you sit up, bolt upright and go, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't remember seeing that before. It's, you know, like, and, you know, the, right from the get go with the, the Vulcan scenes, you know, and, and Oh, the Vulcan the plants. Scenes. Yeah. That was, that was the big boost. Well, uh, we, I remember we were all so disappointed because, um, um, I believe it was, uh, Matt Yersich that painted that, um, uh, the original Matt and, um, uh, everyone was just so rushed of uh, it. We we didn't know how they were going to fit in sometimes, or or even if they would fit in to what we were hoping, you know, was going to be the, the ultimate result. But um, that just got rushed through, and the, the planets were like zooming through the uh, you know the atmosphere, and everyone was kind of gasped when they saw that at dailies and said. The planets are moving too fast, you know, and it's a black sky. And why is Spock holding up his hand to shield his eyes from the sun when there's no sun, you know? <laughs> so that was not what was storyboarded. What was storyboarded is what the guys went in and actually put back in there um, with Robert Weiss. So that was so great. And they've even improved that since 2001. They they now have the clouds moving slightly, and there's flames and things that weren't really there the first time. So um, yeah, it's just so so consistent now, and it just looks great. And all those things that probably felt like to, I'm mean, guessing to people like yourself who worked on the film felt like continuity errors, right? But uh, right. but it's like, man, I mean, you you get from Vulcan and you get the Klingons and just the pacing of it. When you have somebody like you know, I mean, that's it's so interesting. I always thought. You know, that here's Robert Wise, right, is a legendary filmmaker. You know, he worked on, I think he was an editor on Citizen Kane, if I remember correctly. I mean, he's just, you know, he's done so many, so many epic things. And it was such an interesting choice for them at the time to hire him to film, make the film, because he had really not much familiarity Mm -hmm. with Star Trek, right? So he brought this objectivity to it and made it more like a classic epic, which is just really unique. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Dean Roddenberry was, was very enamored with um, Dave Yersted still, and he actually got to meet Robert uh, Weiss. And um, they became friends, and he said, if I ever do a science fiction project, I, I would love to have you on board. Of course, Star Trek came along, the TV show, and then years later, uh, the movie, and he hadn't been forgotten by Gene. So I think that's kind of what happened there. <laughs> and of course, he gave it his usual polish, you know, he's, he's done so many genres. 
um, the musicals that he did, the horror movies. Um, he he worked with Al Luton, I believe, on the uh, um, Curse of the Cat People. Wow! Films. Wow! Also That's them. amazing. But I just uh, so it's has, it's just, it's just a special there. experience. Yeah. yeah, the Haunting, of course, with Julie Harris. That was his. And uh, I think it was around '63 or so. And um, did a film with Julie Andrews called Star about um, um, Broadway stage actress Gertrude Lawrence's life. And it was, that was a lot of fun, that movie. So not too many people know about it, but it's got his usual flair and um, uh, technical know-how. Uh, pretty much in every film he ever makes, he started using that great lens that um, – Pulls focus on both sides of the screen, so you can have people in the background, and they'll be just as sharp as the people in the foreground. Next time you watch Star Trek, you'll see that um, uh, the alien character uh, just behind Kirk when they're on the bridge, he's in the oh, same right, focus. Right. That, yeah, that's that right. It's like you don't have any kind of that weird well, rack focus thing. It's just he's, he's right. He used that. They're still split he right out there. Mm-hmm. Use that. An innovator. Time. Use that story and uh, sound of music and all these sounds so and it it's not anything you think about but it, it uh, feels unusual you know while you're watching it and you can't actually put your finger on it but that's what he did he had a lens it's really you great know. yeah one of the things i like most about the the experience and and the fact that they you know preserve stuff like this from uh from the the remastering for the, the for the home video for, for 4K and Ultra HD. It's just when the movie starts, you know, audiences mm-hmm. now are so not used to this anymore. But you get that whole yeah. overture experience, right, for mm-hmm. however many minutes it is. It's not super long. Maybe, I, I don't know, three minutes, four minutes, something like that. But back in the day, yeah. that was that was a sign mm-hmm. that you are about to enter an epic experience, like Lawrence of the Arabia and right. all the David that Lean films. There was that. the overture, and it was like this kind of like yeah. – yeah, it's like you're entering church. You know? <laughs> you're That's coming into the halls for an experience. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just love that they show. have that. And it, you, you get that the chills moment when that plays on your yeah. system at home. You're like, wow, we're really right. going back to that you know, kind of one foot still in the late 50s of those, those magical epics. Yeah. And, uh, and I think right. Robert Wise brings that to this. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. But uh, Absolutely. I don't want to take up all, too much of our panel's time uh, with you, Philo, yeah. but because uh, I know I'm, well, that, Charles, I'm sure, is ready I to jump to in add, here. But thank you so much for, for funny being so generous. That, that, that overture, too, because uh, I wasn't able to go the day it opened, but I had seen it at the rap party. But my friend Terry, who had been at the rap party with me, she reported back. They went to see it. So they waited in line and they went in uh, the Chinese theater, I believe. And. Uh, she reported later, yeah, that damn overture, she said. The fans were so <laughs> manic at that point, they about tore the theater apart. There's <laughs> a <the> movie <laughs> getting music and stars. It's like the immediate gratification <laughs> in generation. We can't wait for <laughs> to have suspense building. We need the movie now. We've been waiting. So <laughs> It's wild. But it's just yeah. we've all been looking at your credits, Philo, on uh, the IMDb, and you've been involved in just so many magical uh, productions over the over the time. I mean, somebody like well, to have to have so much contact with so many classics of Disney animation. It, it's just very special. So it's uh, super exciting. Yeah, it was an amazing uh, time for all of us to be working in the industry. Uh, 
never thought I'd get a chance to do what I did, but uh, there it is. Well, wonderful work. And I, you were a boy with a kite in Mary Poppins. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> my big claim to fame. <laughs> that, that's a big, that's a big shout out, man. That's, real... that's, that's huge. That was, what a thrill that must have been for Along you. with my real father, because I had lost the part of Christopher Robin and uh, Winnie the Pooh animated short, um, which my dad did all the layouts for, for each one of them. And uh, um, Walt Disney thought I was probably pretty upset because I was runner-up to Bruce Reiterman who got the part. His uh, dad, Willie Reiterman, was the director of the film. Maybe it was a little nepotism. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> years ago, I was probably devastated. You know how kids are. So, uh, well, yeah, but you I, had a lot I, longer career, I think, in the, yeah. the Disney universe than yeah. he did. So. <laughs> right, <laughs> I think yes. you came out on top, but, uh, brother. Um, yeah, but um, uh, yes, my dad is. Uh, I wanted to be with him in in the sequence that he was storyboarding. My dad storyboarded the sequence um, uh, along with Don DeGrady, who was the, the head of the storyboard department. And uh, um, the "Let's Go Fly Kite" song, starting with them leaving the house and dancing down the street and everything, and it was almost like his storyboard, really, when it was all done. So. Um, and that was an amazing set, but I'm digressing. So, <laughs> well, listen, I just want to make sure we uh, get everyone a chance to, to be heard on the on the on the all the other experts here today. But it's uh, such a joy getting to talk to you, Philo, and uh, thank, thank you, you so much. And uh, congratulations on a, a spectacular career and being able to uh, share this uh, phoenix-like return of the motion picture with us, Charles. I oh. bet you are just chomping at the bit, my friend. Let <laughs> me pass the mic over to you, brother. Oh. Well, the, the thing is, you led right into a spot that I could jump in. The fact is, Mary Poppins is one of my favorite, one of my many favorite Disney's, and one of my favorite Disney, bro, Disney's Broadway type productions. Let's oh, go, yes, Black yes. Kite is such a fun mm-hmm. song. Oh and yeah, and that's still in the production. They couldn't give that tongue up. Oh no, they they wouldn't dare. That's that's so iconic. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually one that can sit and say I was. <clears throat> oh, seventy nine, maybe about twelve. Mm-hmm. And one of these kid, one of these. Of okay, love Star Wars, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're going to get to see Star Trek on the big screen. And I remember the what? theater I went to with my dad and going and seeing that production. I know Jim's favorite scene is the Klingons, but oh, yeah. one of my favorite scenes in there is the beauty shot of the Enterprise. Yes. It, yes takes two, it takes two to three minutes to get around the Enterprise, but you just get to see the beauty and awe of that. Mm-hmm. I, the work that they've done to reinvent actually. Yeah, that whole thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the work that they. It, what about some of the work they did to change that in the last few years? Uh. Yeah, well, they they did a phenomenal job of scanning each of those elements that made up every shot, every single shot, uh, at least in the effects, this I know. Um, they found all the original negatives 
of our 65 millimeter uh, film that we, we would do our effects on. So all the elements were still there. And they scanned them separately, and they had bothered to to make two different lighting uh, uh, strips of film that were exactly the same uh, duration with using the motion capture. And um, one of those was just the ship uh, lit up and shot against black. And uh, another was replacing the black background with white. And uh, they would just shoot it. And uh, it would use those elements to separate things out so that they could put it against the star background and the, the image of Earth down below. And it just looks phenomenal now. It, it is a brand new film. They, they just wow. they literally put it together again. And that, that uh, tour around the ship served um, so many purposes. It was, it was yeah. a treat for Star Trek fans to see their ship again, how it, beautiful it looked now. And uh, nobody was complaining about that. Um, and it was also a chance for Kirk, the character, to see uh, his ship the way it was now. And there's a look of love in his eyes when he's looking out through the windshield at it. And uh, they added that beautiful shot of the reflection on the, um, the pod's uh, glass there. Oh, that was not in the original film, and uh, that expression on his face—it's just um, very worthwhile. <laughs> and uh, any any of the map works that was jittering around—it's all gone now because of the scanning. So the 4K scan—it's just amazing yeah. what they did. Well, wow, it's just incredible to hear the work they've done to improve it. I watched a little. Right. I watched that. Uh, the DS9 documentary and just the work they did to have to put those together Mm -hmm. and having to cut through all those dailies just to get those scenes to be able to turn it into high death. How about the work they did with the landing and finally seeing V'ger and those steps? Oh, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Well, they, they, um, they had the storyboards, the original storyboards to look at, and it it uh, implied that they were going to kind of cross-dissolve in or um, fade in from uh, uh, these particles that were floating towards the edge of the Enterprise um, when they come to a stop there, of course. Um, so the idea was to make it look as much as like something that we might have done in 1979. And um, they started that in the 2001 version, and uh, it's been plussed like everything else um, in this new one um, now that they can go in and fix things the way they can. Uh, and um, I think it looks great. The, 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 you know, little clusters form, and then you see the crystals steroid, uh, growing from wherever they land. You know, and uh, the pe- the people were redone too. That is not the actors, <laughs> because they they um they put a digital enterprise in there for the close up. Originally, it was a painting, a matte painting, of um, the top of the uh, the saucer, and um, for this version, they they put the digital version in there, and um, uh, the people were actually motion capture 
and um, it doesn't matter that they don't have any detail on their faces because they were shown so small. So um, pretty much no one's the wiser. They, they, it feels right. natural. And, um, of course, them crossing the bridge, that is, um, that's also motion capture. And then, of course, the real actors as they come over the edge there. But um, um, when they, they finally get in there, Percy Scambata was having a little trouble uh, with her high heel going down that incline. <laughs> She's the first one to go down. So she, in, in between takes, she went up to Robert Wise and said, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. He says, leave it to me. So you'll see in the final film now, you see her start down. And then he cuts to uh, a slight zoom in on the V'ger down below, as if you're seeing it from her point of view. And then uh, he cuts back to the guys standing up there. And then they start down. And then he cuts back to her already at the bottom, just stepping off. Oh. <laughs> there you go, baby magic. Yeah, <laughs> I got to go see it. that again. <laughs> He went through hell on that film because she was falling through the sets and, and her eyes almost got blinded. And when the effect we were trying to do at the end when they're going into energy, you know, together. And uh, it, it was almost like we were trying to kill her or something sometimes, I swear. <laughs> so she was a trooper. Oh. <laughs> uh. Well, I know Eric's caught up, but I think he's got some questions he wants to throw out. Mm-hmm. Hey, Philo. Uh, this is Eric, co-host. Nice to talk to you again. And thanks for coming on the podcast oh, yeah. again. Wow. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, so, I, you know, there's, there's, of course, we've talked all about the, the detail upgrades, and uh, I, I actually had no idea that there was motion capture involved in that last scene. It makes a little bit more sense why it looks so different uh, now, you know, it has, I mean, it still looks the same, but it has a quality to it that I didn't believe could just be rescanning of the negatives. <laughs> so that, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Go ahead. It's, a, it, it's very epic the way it, it comes off now. It's very, very cinematic, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that you can see so much detail in such an epically sized space, I think that's the thing that really makes it different, right? I think it's the fact the sense of right. scale is easier to read now. Right. Well, there there aren't too many times in Star Trek where they've actually shown people walking around on the outside of the ship, so that this really gives you a, an idea of just how huge the Enterprise really is. So. Yeah, and I like that long shot, too. I think the ways in which um, modern Star Trek does that now is we get, you were talking about that special lens that sort of lets you see close and far away. I think modern Star Trek, I see that shot where maybe they're standing on the hull of the ship, uh, but you're looking up close at the actor and you're actually seeing the ships far away. Um, and that doesn't right. give you the same sense of scale, I don't think. I mean, it, you know, of course, you know, the person's on a surface of a ship, so you kind of intellectually know it, but it's not the same as kind of backing up and taking in the vastness of the area around the ship. Right, right. 
Yeah. Well, so yeah. I always tell people that I love Star Trek the Motion Picture because, uh, well, for so many reasons. But one of the things that I really dig about it, and we've talked a little bit about this um, when you've been on the show before, is the pacing and the um, the ways in which it reminds me of uh, of the movie 2001 uh, in a lot of ways. And so here's my question for you. If, if you were pitch if you wanted somebody who had never seen Star Trek before to watch Star Trek the Motion Picture how would you pitch it to them how, what what would you say are the reasons that they should watch that movie especially the the newer version here oh, well i would i would probably explain why it's a bit of a convoluted story, but complete uh, <laughs> was because they had committed to a time that it was going to be in the theaters, and the rest of us had scrambled to try to get that done. But the tragedy is that Mr. Wise never got his final cut, and so many things went wrong, especially some of the shots we weren't able to finish, but also the extraneous dialogue in the film, because he did a lot of coverage which he intended to cut out eventually, but it didn't get the chance until 2001. But um, a lot of coverage was shot of people stating what the audience could already see for themselves because we were able to get those effects done that they were put into the film. So they're just uh, stating what you can see for yourself, which was kind of annoying, and I think the critics pulled it, pulled it apart for that reason. Uh, one that was one of many reasons, but uh, everything's been tightened up too. Um, um, I just love watching it now, and uh, I would encourage them to to see it uh, for historical reasons. And um, I would also tell them that this is the definitive version, and this is the one they really ought to see. Um, don't really bother with the other ones because. They might put you to sleep, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially given that today's audiences, I think, have really high demands in terms of, you know, what they want out of their visual effects. And um, even, I think, I- I'm not going to say scripting because an awful lot of bad movies are, are – or an awful lot of good-looking movies are still poorly written. But <laughs> but this one kind of has right. both, right? It's got the good writing, and now it actually has the visual effects and stuff that keep up with the writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, so I would also, I think, talk to them if I were convincing them to watch this movie. I would also just talk to them about the story. You know, I I love the way that story um, flows from beginning to end, and you kind of get uh, um, well. You're talking about that effect at the end where Ilya and Decker sort of join as one to me that's one of the very mm-hmm. special moments in the in the movie because it is the culmination of um of the concept of this thing returning to its creator right which is just such a vast and wide and amazing concept anyway and it ends in this mm-hmm. moment that's so personal and the effect i think really lends itself to that the way their hair is kind of blowing up and you get this real sense of merging right yeah well, a lot of people didn't see that coming, you know, which I thought was yeah. so. Um, oh yeah, you know, I mean, here were your two stars, 
And they, they were initially shocked when she was abducted and turned into a drone, you know. Uh, her character changed radically. But, uh, you know, that was the first shock. And the, the, the second one was uh, them combining together. So <laughs> I don't think anyone saw those things coming. But that's what made the story so Not- much fun because it, it kept you guessing, you know. Yeah. yeah, and it's got a, a nice, smooth arc for me over the two hours and 20-something minutes that it is. It doesn't have, like, um, I don't know, some movies like that kind of have slow spots, you know? <laughs> and to me, right. it doesn't have a slow spot. It has kind of a steadily building uh, story that just kind of, um, right. you know, builds over time. And, of course, I mean, no. the visual effects. We've talked so much about the visual effects. I love that we got a little bit into talking about the music and the opening uh, overture as well, because that honestly is something that I miss personally about um, older movies. I love that whole credits rolling at the beginning. It gives you time to kind of come and sit down and find your seat. And, you know, you're not just um, stuck staring at commercials right up until the moment that the movie starts. (laughs) Right. So I miss that. I think it leads you into the movie, and I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I love that they retain things well, like that when they redo the old movies. That's uh, like I said before. That's a time-honored way of, of um, opening a roadshow movie. Um, you know, the, the the grand movies they all had overtures pretty much, and um, sometimes just black theater with the curtains closed. But um, this time they had the star field, and uh, mm-hmm. I think. Star Trek fans opening day in 1979, they just about tore the theater to pieces because they wanted to see the film. They didn't want to sit the music. <laughs> Give us the damn movie. Uh, I just right. found that so funny. But, but once they saw it, they, they just um, flipped. But it's so much tighter now in every way. Um, um, Dave Fine and his team, they went in and just tightened the hell out of the movie. Um, all the extraneous dialogue was cut out. Uh, in 2001, they did even more this time, and they also used some alternate takes they found um, for some of the dialogue and the voices in the background on the bridge, uh, which you can hear a lot clearer now than you ever mm-hmm. did before. Uh, those things were recently found as well as the, the footage, so the soundtrack stuff. Um, and like every film, they do a lot of what they call ADR, which is additional dialogue recording. And um, they actually used some alternate takes, especially on Edna Glover's character at the beginning of the film. She was the Vulcan master that um, does not give him his um, his medallion. You know? um, right. They used mm-hmm. for her. I think, wow, this this sounds even better than I remember. It's a whole different version. So that that's why when you watch this movie, especially if you haven't watched, I guess, the the earlier versions of the motion picture for a while, you have this sense that you know what's coming up, but every once in a while things are just a little tiny bit different. And that's the sort of things you're talking about, right, where it's because they used an alternate mm-hmm. take or because they were able to mm-hmm. actually show an effect that they weren't originally able to show. Mm-hmm. Or they were more efficient with, with the scene. They, they um, trimmed it down. It, tightened it up a bit here and there. But the, the cloud, um, journey through the cloud layers has been uh, tightened up considerably. Uh, people don't even notice that because it's uh, um, it's still a leisurely pace, but it has really been uh, tightened up a, a lot. And um, in, in addition, the, uh, the music has been 
um, edited slightly, but you can't tell. Um, the, the soundtrack that they released recently, uh, the new one, um, on CD uh, has the complete, you know, takes, but um, they, they considerably tightened up um, the travel music through the clouds. Um, well, I'm uh-huh. religious, so. Now that moves a so lot. So if I play some of those, aha! Uh-huh. So if I play some of those tracks on the newest version of the soundtrack, they may not match up to exactly yeah. what's going on in the movie these days. They probably won't sing and, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Plus all yeah, the dialogue. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know if um, they ever did. I'm not sure I did I that, but see, I can see these clouds here, or this thing here, or this thing there, and the audience. You know, they're not idiots. They can see it for themselves. I think that's what made the critics of the film so mad. One of the major things. So, mm-hmm. uh, the big thing that Robert Wise removed was, uh, along with David Fine, uh, for this new version. Uh, chop. <laughs> Cut. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much work. I wish I knew. I wish there was a way to know how many hours went into modding it, because it's got to be just an incredible number. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they spent a good deal of time. That's why it's, it's taken so long. Um, they couldn't even get started until Paramount agreed to, um, you know, get together with the, the people that uh, had the uh, the new assets for the 2001 version. Um, they had all those assets, uh, that, that uh, you know, the new footage that went in so on. So they combined together and they found our original footage and um, uh, just rescanned and redid everything. So, But it, it took years for them to get together and finally say, okay, let's do the definitive version of it. I'm glad they finally got around to it. In my lifetime. Well, I, <laughs> I, <get> to... <laughs> I know. And I guess it's proof positive, just once again, that uh, working together achieves great results, right? Uh, You just bring all of these people who have the properties and all these people who have the talents together, and great things shall be done. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, We have so much. uh, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we had so much fun, you know. Every Friday was like a party when we would get together and watch the footage that we'd done all week. And, uh, oh yeah, um, we had our, our executive secretary out there, Mona Fall Benefield was her name. She put on disco music, and, and if we wanted to dance around, and then sit down and watch the footage, and uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's great. That's a great team building thing, right? Because you all get to revel in your accomplishments of the week together. That's so cool. <laughs> she caught me one morning. I was, my brother had said, uh, "Hey, Fi, if you if you lie down." And put your hands over your head. You you can measure something. That if you're lying underneath it, you can measure it. I said, really? He said, yeah, we're about eight foot one. He's about my height. Um, uh, with your hands over your head, you're about eight foot uh, one inch. I said, really? So I decided to sneak over to the Enterprise model, uh, which was outside Jeffrey's office. Um, I can't remember which building it was now. I think it was the Glencoe building where he was, but um, it's been so many years. But um, there was this, like a black curtain and then his doorway in his office, and he wasn't in. It was like 7 in the morning. So I laid down under the Enterprise thinking I was alone. 
Sure enough, it was about nine feet long. Um, uh-huh. Who should come by with her clipboard but Mona? And she says, oh, hello, sweetheart. What are you doing down there? <laughs> I'm measuring the enterprise. <laughs> she says, oh, you're measuring the enterprise. How nice. I said, she said, well, I'm sure you've got something to do. And I said, yes, I felt so stupid. But um, Oh, my God. Well, you know. I was a boneheaded kid back then. <laughs> well, we've all done a few boneheaded things in our lives, but that is a fantastic story. I love it. Oh, so I think that may be my new uh, – I'm going to adopt that as a new euphemism. My wife will say, what are you doing in there? I'll be, I'm measuring the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I can laugh about it now, oh. but I, my heart is in my throat. <laughs> oh. uh, all right. Well, uh, Jim, uh, we don't have too many more minutes left, so why, uh, why don't I give you one final shot? Of Philo, Philo, thank you so much for chatting with me here for a little bit. Oh, certainly. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, I just, I, just, I just wanted to ask you uh, a couple more questions. The first I wanted to ask you, how many hours did you spend on the motion picture? Uh, what did it feel like when they went in and redid your work? And finally, my last question, do you have anything? Did you keep anything from the motion picture uh, that, well, maybe you can't tell us if you did or not, but is there anything that you have that you could tell us about? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, no, I just collected the, the same things that were made available to everyone, like the trading cards and the posters. They, they did a nice Mylar poster um, of the Enterprise. Oh, really nice. I, I'd never seen a Mylar poster before that. Well, it was kind of a golden mylar with the, the, the ship printed on top of that. And um, there was also a cutaway of the Enterprise and, you know, so on. Um, I think there was even a whiskey bottle in the shape of, of Spock. <laughs> Did they have now we're talking. You twist it <laughs> off his head and you, you get up the whiskey or scotch or whatever it was, bourbon. Um, but as far as the hours we spent, we got there around seven every day. Uh, I was given a lift by my friends Max and Connie Morgan, who were also working on the film. And uh, I would take a bus so far to get to their corner, and then they would swing by the corner and pick me up and take me the rest of the way in the Marina del Rey. We were all in the San Fernando Valley, so it was a bit of a schlep to get there, but um, that's why we we decided to stay there as long as we could every day. So we were nine, ten. 12 hours a day sometimes um, a lot more than that uh, towards the end we were spending the night in the studio <laughs> we had a nice big staircase a uh, wide staircase with carpeted stairs on one end of the building that was dark that we didn't use and we could fold out uh, sleeping bags and spell each other all night um, we'd set an alarm and go to sleep and then um, um, the alarm would sound and we'd go spell somebody else and they could go sleep for a little while and it went on that way for right up to the last minute so um, yeah they were long days but uh, Paramount paid us handsomely <laughs> you know willing to do whatever it took to get us um, you know the finish line uh, we were served food I got as big as a house at the time because uh, we were served food um, morning noon and night from the catering wagon, um, and we could take extra food for later if uh, we 
felt we were going to, you know, be working late. I needed something to eat. So, um, and they just made everything for you, whatever you wanted to eat. Um, just amazing. And uh, I often got fined for that <laughs> because everyone would grab their food and go back to work. I'd be still looking at things. So they would give me the clipboard and I'd sign for the food. Um, anyone could do it. You know, it's just the paramount after that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we also didn't see much of Jeffrey uh, during the time because he was logging in more hours in his car going between all the buildings he had to go to than, um, than actually staying with us and working out there. So he was going to Hollywood to Paramount Studios and there are three buildings out in Marina Del Rey and also the Van Nuys Airport where um, John Dykstra was. So that, it was all worth it, though, in hindsight, all the hours. And uh, it wasn't the first time we would spend that many hours on, on a film. Um, you're passionate about what you do and, and uh, want to see it be successful. That's, that's what it takes. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I just... I just want to say thank you for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight and sharing your stories and experiences working on Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, if it wasn't for Star Trek, the motion picture, um, we wouldn't have this Star Trek uh, golden age that we're enjoying right now. Oh, thank you. That's, thank you so much. That is true, isn't it? Yes. Thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I got, um, so director's cut of uh, uh, Star Trek two, the Wrath of Khan. So, um, and, um, I know it's 4K scan, but it doesn't look nearly as good as the first film. <laughs> Maybe they'll do that one again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've been spoiled now. The special, uh, I, I don't think you'll ever see another movie like the motion picture again. I think that's a one, yeah. kind of like Mm-mm. one of space odyssey a, type. A, unique, a unique work of art, and, uh, uh, of course, part of the reason it's like 2001 is, is mostly because of Doug Trumbull being our supervisor. And um, yeah. I, I had a dream of meeting him someday after I saw 2001 when I was a kid. So there I was. It was the double whammy. I was working with Doug Trumbull and on Star Trek, you know, my favorite so show. Cool. Was a kid. So starting in Living 1966. A win-win situation. I was in a dream. Yeah, I definitely was. Well, thank you. Thank you for hanging out and talking with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And I want to thank you. I got to thank everybody out there for listening. I want to say thank you to Paul for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight. Paul, thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I mean, to have somebody like this uh, to get to share their experiences is a rare treat indeed. I feel like we're, you know, getting a, getting some serious history vibes in our Trek talking today. So pretty amazing. <laughs> so uh, thank you for sharing your career and your passion with us, Milo. Well, thank you for having me on. It was so much fun. Absolutely. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you, Philo, for all the stories. These are the type of things I love, just the stories, the background of what happened, any type of productions. It's just great to hear what what actually happened with this stuff. So thank you. Absolutely. 
And, of course, thank you to Eric for hanging out and talking with us as well. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely. Thank you, guys, for keeping my seat warm. And thanks again, Philo. Yep, great time. So have a great night, guys. Oh, yes, I had a great time. And once again, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and I want to say thank you to Philo Barnhart for hanging out and sharing his stories um, of working on Star Trek Emotion Picture with us. We really appreciate it. And um, we're going to be back with you guys on Thursday night. Same bat time, same bat channel. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks. Hear all, trust nothing. That's the one where they visit Deep Space Nine. Definitely don't want to miss Thursday night's show. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying hailing frequencies are closed. Please, everybody, be good to each other and stay soon. Good night. Good night, everybody. Nail. Live and frost. Hey. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.